Al Jazeera podcast. Another coup in West Africa. Soldiers in Niger have seized power and removed the democratically elected president. What does it mean for the fight against armed groups in the Sahel? And how do recurrent military takeovers cripple democracy in Africa? I'm Sihil Rahman, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Well, for more on this, I'm joined now in the Nigerian capital of Abuja is Kabir Adamu, the managing director of Beacon Consulting, a security risk management and intelligence firm that operates in the Sahel. In Paris is Nicholas Norbrook, the managing editor of the Africa Report magazine, which covers pan-African politics and business. And in London, Alex Vines, director of the Africa programme at Chatham House. A warm welcome to all of my guests. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Story. Uh, Kabir Adamu, can I come to you first in Abuja? Um, Niger is not the first, and I doubt it's not going to be the last country to experience a coup in the region. They happen pretty often. But what's going wrong here? Thank you. Um, so uh, what the coup plotters have, have announced as their reasons, um, they've, they've mentioned two things, um, security and the economy. Um, however, the reality uh, of what we see in both Niger and other countries is that um, when the military take over, they are not able to address these two issues. Um, in terms of what is actually happening on the ground, sadly, the Sahel region and most parts of West Africa are being af afflicted by different um, threat elements, especially the influence of non-state armed groups that are ideologically based. So in particular, there are several um, ideological groups that are affiliated with the global um, terrorist groups, um, yeah. IS, Islamic State, that of Al-Qaeda. And Niger is not, um, you know, spared out. It it's also has its own share of um, influence of, of these groups. So to an extent, yes, security is a challenge. Um, and then, of course, the economy too. Uh, the influence, what happened after COVID-19, and then, of course, the impact of um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine are being sure. felt by countries in the Sahel and West Africa. So all of these are realities. But sadly, the claim that the military will be in a better position to address that has not been factual. Indeed, and we'll delve into that uh, as we continue with the conversation. Nicholas Norbrook uh, in Paris, let's just start with the initial rumours uh, of the appointment of a, a new presidential guard, which seems to have been the flashpoint for uh, the coup or the rebellion, however we want to describe it. It seems to have spread much wider to the, the military to a full-blown coup. Is that a fair assessment that this was simmering all the time or it has come as a complete shock? I think it came as a shock to President Badoum. Even uh, last night, he was sending us text messages saying um, the other elements of the army will be here soon. It's just the presidential guard which is involved uh, in this coup. Um, so I think he and uh, a lot of other people are fairly surprised uh, at the widespread nature of it. We understand um, elements of the police are involved as well as um, most of the army, and of course, this presidential guard, which ironically has had a great deal of adventure, uh, rather a great deal of investment put into it over the last few decades to try and uh, stave off uh, the coup attempts, which uh, have plagued Niger since uh, it gained its independence yeah. in the 60s. 
So uh, let's cross over to Alex Vines and uh, develop that because obviously, you know, it, it's interesting, isn't it? You invest so much in your military and in your security because you are uh, a big player uh, in the region to try and not just defend your own country, but your borders. And that very group of people, Alex, turn on you. Uh, are you surprised at the way things have happened so very quickly? No, we, we, we've seen a pattern here. So um, you're absolutely right. One of the problems in the Sahelian area is that there's been a lot of investment in, in security. Uh, and so building up um, presidential guards, I mean, you can call them Praetorian guards. The, the presidential guard in Niger is 2,000 strong. Uh, and so the, the, the unintended consequence is that uh, the one institution that, that is well-resourced uh, and is, is better trained is, is the military and particularly the, the kind of elite units. And, and the unattended consequences is that, that you, you turn fragile straits into brittle ones and you, you start to get uh, a very frustrated uh, broader population and interest groups encouraging the military to stage a coup. Now, you know, they, they all claim they're for peace, security, fair play, justice and equity. But what we're also seeing, and there's a very good UNDP report that was launched two weeks ago that interviewed 8,000 people across these countries like Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger, where there's been coups, um, on, on what people actually want ultimately. And it is about a better economy. It's about better security. The only good news is that the, the end goal is better democracy. Uh, uh, but the interviews show a lot of buyer's remorse because... Uh, as your previous speaker said, the, the, the military is just not equipped to, to pr provide, you know, better security long term uh, and certainly not democracy. Yeah, well, let's, we'll talk about security and democracy and certainly finances just a little bit later. One more question to Kabir uh, Adamu about sort of the current situation, the swiftness of the coup. I mean, you heard Alex there saying he wasn't surprised from, from the analysis that Chatham House has. From where you are in Abuja and in West Africa. Uh, is Nigeria surprised by what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, given the statement by the president, who is the current um, chairman of ECOWAS, uh, immediately after the news emerged, he issued a statement. He followed that by sending out a delegation. So yeah, it, it appears he is surprised. And um, I mean, there, there is discussion also around what has been described as the colossal failure of intelligence. Um, uh, I mean, those uh, putting that forward talked about Sudan, how um, Sudan happened, and it appears the intelligence um, capabilities of not just African countries, but Western countries too, were either unaware or were caught off guard. So the same thing with this development in Niger. It appears that, um, you know, the state institutions um, and the backdoor channels that the intelligence platforms represent were pro probably not um, aware or not ready for such, such a development. And that's why we saw um, a, a visit from an ECO, fellow ECOWAS, um, you know, leader, to the Nigerian president, and then the result of that was the delegation. But more significantly was the inability of the delegation that was sent by the president to prevent the total collapse of the government in Niger. And more importantly, to also secure the release of um, the uh, elected president, of because uh, as it were, he's still in detention at the moment. So yeah, um, it appears the, the Nigerian state and, and the ECOWAS chair, because of course it's the, president, the Nigerian president that is occupying that, were uh, to, uh, unaware of that uh, the development in Niger. Sure. 
uh, Nicholas, uh, let's go back to you in Paris. I mean, you know, corruption, greed, the temptation of absolute power, uh, and the phrase absolute power corrupts. I mean, what is it? What is it that attracts the military to think they can do a better job than, than democratically elected officials, be they good or bad? They are still democratically elected by the people. It's it's a uh, it's a tough one. I, just to pick up on on a previous point and on the failure of intelligence, it's it's all the more surprising when the man who's believed to be behind this putsch, uh, General Abdurrahman Chiani, who is the head of this Praetorian Guard, Presidential Guard that we've been speaking about, um, he he's known about. He's a, he's a known quantity, and when. Um, President Bazoum's successor, Isufu, handed, was about to hand over the, the, the presidential chair. Um, two days before the inauguration, there was an attack on the presidency. And there were rumors that this um, General Chiani was behind it then, rumors which have never really been dispelled. Um, so it is, it is surprising that Niger intelligence, that um, partner intelligence agencies have not been able to, to catch it. Um, in, in terms of you know what, what these um, military uh, elites believe they're they're doing, it's it's very hard to tell. But it it, it does seem that they're the the consequences for their actions uh, are not really being felt, or at least they they don't feel much deterrence either from um, Western partners who have poured in a lot of cash, and there was a visit in February, I believe, by UK Minister for Africa. There was a visit by uh, Anthony Blinken, US Secretary of State, in March. Uh, in April, the, the German Defence Minister was there. So there's been an incredible amount of uh, money poured into the military, but no, no deterrence felt from there. And no deterrence felt from the, re from the region. There was a time when Nigeria was considered the gendarme of, of West Africa. Um, that, that's no longer the case, clearly. No, it isn't. I mean, Alex Vines, uh, as you analyse uh, the way we've seen so many coups in that region in, in, in the last, you know, four to five years, you know, we think of Mali, we think of Burkina Faso. I mean, where do groups like ECOWAS and the African Union stand in, in sort of trying to encourage nation building? Yes, they may be focused on the economy, they may be focused as groups that deal with the politique of countries, but they also have a responsibility to maintain that level of uh, hope of democracy, don't they? Hope of bringing countries forward post-colonial periods. Yeah, so it's definitely a concern. As you mentioned, since 2020, we've had seven coups and three attempted coups. Those are really confirmed ones and maybe a bunch of others. I would kind of say that ECOWAS is trying, you know, you've got a new Tanubu administration, so a new Nigerian president who has a vision for the region, cares about his near abroad is looking at how he rebuilds the regional economic community. I was in Abuja myself only a couple of weeks ago. There was a summit about these particular issues. They were really concerned about Niger in particular, as well as Burkina Faso and what to do with Mali. So I wouldn't say there's been a complete intelligence uh, failure here. There were concerns around elite disputes inside Niger, particularly between the current President, uh, President Bazoum, 
and his predecessor, President Usufu, who was uh, much more closely aligned with General Omar Chiani. I'm not sure I agree that Chiani was involved in the, the attempt of the March 2021 coup. I think he actually stopped it. So, so um, the, 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 you know, going forward, it's about how can the economic community of West African states become more effective, more efficient, and really not just be condemning coups, but with, with with words, but actually with actions. And I think that's that's you know that's what's been drawn out really urgently now uh, with Niger, because Niger is not just strategic and important for the West. Uh, it's equally important for Nigeria. And, and so uh, a lot of focus is now being put on to how to convince the putschists to, mm. to, to back down, basically. That's what's going on right at the moment. Uh, Kabir Adamu in Abuja, um, the modus operandi, certainly, uh, of the situation seems to reflect what we've seen in the region. I'll ask Nicholas the same sort of uh, the answer to this question as well, but I'll start with you, Kabir, first. It starts off, and I'm just going to quickly, briefly summarise it. Military takeover, borders close. Military officers address the nation. Regional bodies like the AU condemn the coup. Sanctions are put in place. Delegations sent in to talk. Delegations free the president, who goes into exile. Military remain in uh, power. Promise elections that never really happen openly. Regional bodies lift sanctions. Western countries that condemn the action restore diplomatic and economic relations. The end. It seems to be going partly to script. Exactly. And I, and I think this is just to relate it to your earlier question on what kind of the incentive for these military officers to take over government. Sadly, we haven't seen any consequences in almost uh, all the six um, you know, uh, coups that have happened from 2020 till date. We haven't seen any direct consequences on the uh, Nicholas, can I bring you in here in Paris? I mean, you were smiling at what I had to say, but I think that's the reality, isn't it? This is what we've seen repeated again and again. Alex is also nodding in agreement, so I think we're all on the same page here. Absolutely. It, 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 the script you outlined um, is eerily accurate, um, and I, I don't know if there's a, any shortcuts to it. Um, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't remove agency, though, from um, those delegations, and... You know, I absolutely take the point that the, the Tinubu administration may have much more force than the Buhari administration, uh, which ran Nigeria for the previous eight years, had. But but certainly when President Basanjo was in charge uh, and Nigeria was very comfortable projecting military force in the region, that script wasn't really adhered to. And, and sometimes coup uh, plotters found themselves taste violently out of office, um, which, you know, while you can't, you know, uh, allow violence of any sort, um, that kind of um, sense of there, there might be retribution, you know, just carry mm. a certain kind of, kind of weight in the region for, for a few years. So we can only hope that we will see a, a different script emerge and that local actors, don't forget, Nigeria is two-thirds of the economy of West Africa. It is a, a serious player. Yeah. Um, and if Nigeria's foreign policy became, becomes much more muscular, I think maybe that script can be flipped. Yeah. Uh, Alex, you were nodding in agreement as well through that. The big difference, that you've got a lot more ambition, that, that basically the new Nigerian foreign policy of Tanubu that's being drawn up at the moment is a, is a robust response against putschists. 
There's one thing that Tanubu and the incoming officials that are beginning to emerge around him, that, or, or that they have common vision, and that's they don't like military dictatorships. They all learned their craft where, when uh, they're dealing with opposing the Abacha administration in, in, in Nigeria. So this is a very different Nigeria. And I think this is where the putschists in, in Niamey may have miscalculated. The big neighbor next door is going to be a lot more proactive and a, more, a lot more influential than, than, than Western partners, be they France, EU or, 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 or the United States. If we look at the region itself and the countries that surround um, Niger, um, Bazoum took power, what, two years ago, um, uh, and with military, crew, military coups happening around the region, the fallout of uh, Libya's civil war, uh, coups in Mali and Burkina Faso, even, even Chad, very unstable. These were all external security challenges that his country had to deal with. But there were ev internal ones too, but were they that evident? Nicholas. Um, it's hard to, to see whether they had got to that kind of um, level. The, the handover between Isufu and Bazoum was held up at the time as being uh, a real breakthrough for the region. Um, at the time, there was a lot of attempts to rewrite constitutions in many Sahel countries to allow a third term for presidential uh, people in the presidency. Um, and Niger's uh, Isufu said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go on forever. I've had my two terms. I'm even going to designate who I would like uh, in my party to succeed me, my defense minister, uh, Bazoum. Um, and so when that handover went over relatively uh, well, a lot of people were, were, were pretty, in, pretty heartened for the region. I'll tell you something else which happened in 2021. Just very and that was the death. Sorry, the death of President Idris Deby, who yeah. had been the France's gendarme for security in the region, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Niger was the only one today, since that uh, has turned in on itself, Niger is the only one doing that role. So now there are a few question marks. Kabir, let's uh, bring you back in here from Abuja. Let's talk about security and move the conversation on now. We've got a good sense of what's going on in Niger. Um, we, we're seeing Western forces being pulled out uh, of, of countries, security partners in Mali, for example. The US is, might, you might even say, on the back foot. So is France dealing with uh, the insurgencies across the Sahel and trying to help its African friends. We're seeing Russia come in as an alternative to the failures of various military operations. How do you assess the situation right now? now in terms of the importance of Niger, where the US and France do have troops? So um, the geopolitics of, um, I mean, the Western nations is playing out in Africa uh, in, in very clear terms. Um, and sadly, we're seeing both state institutions and non-state actors. Uh, Wagner has been mentioned severally. And even in the Nigerian coup, um, there has been suggestion that there are actors at play that may be affiliated with some of these countries. And um, if, if I'm going to give a prognosis, this, this is likely to be the scenario over the next few years. Um, there has also been suggestion that perhaps because of the attention of the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that type of um, you know, interest has dwindled um, from a geostrategic point in, in, in Africa, especially the Sahel region, where the two uh, global um, um, uh, terrorist mm. um, uh, you know, um, affiliates have been growing, that's IS and, and Al-Qaeda. 
And so it, it's this type of in, in, in impact and consequence on security that we're seeing over time. But at the top of all of this, the umbrella that ties all of this is good governance and it's um, lack of it within, within the region. Um, so much has happened institutionally and structurally that has a, a allowed um, this type of development that, that leads to coup. And I think sadly, both the multilateral, regional, and global institutions, ECO, we've discussed ECO as um, AU as well, do not speak enough around good governance. The, 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 the lack of um, you know, care review and then uh, action to, uh, to disallow leaders who sadly are not serving enough of their people, I think allows this type of um, you know, development like what we're discussing in Niger. OK, well, let me go back to Alex Vines in London, because there seems to be an opportunity here, Alex, you know, while uh, Niger is in flux uh, and Wagner and uh, Russia, as well as the US and France, you know, vie for security supremacy in helping their African partners. There is a conference going on right now in St. Petersburg between Russia uh, and African nations. And I, and I can't help but think that they will be discussing this behind closed doors. Is this an opportunity for President Putin? Well, we'll see. Um, so I, re uh, I received a, a Twitter photo, or X photo, as it's called now, of Mr. Prashogin, you know, the, 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 the chief of Wagner, yeah. meeting a, a particular ambassador in St. Petersburg as part of a fringe meeting. And, and you know, Putschist uh, leaders are, are invi invited in St. Petersburg. So, you know, you've got uh, the, the Burkina Faso and, uh, and Mali represented there, the president of, uh, of Guinea-Bissau is there and so on. Uh, and so clearly the, the, the Russians are always looking for opportunity and Mr. Prishogin um, has, has announced that he, he will focus, continue to focus on Africa and he's clearly doing that today in St. Petersburg. Now, whether the 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 the, the, the incoming military uh, putschists in 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 uh, Niamey uh, will reach out to Russia, um, let's see. But they'll certainly find that the Russians are knocking on their door. The Russians were knocking very loudly on the door of the the, the junta in Ouagadougou, the the, the, the Burkina Faso uh, junta. Uh, but up to now, the, 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 that junta has said, "No, thank you. We we don't want uh, Russia to be involved with us." We are coming very closely to the end of our programme. Nicholas Norbrook, just briefly, I mean, there is such a thing as civil society in most countries, and one assumes that there is such a society in uh, Niger too, who tried to support the president and, and faced gunfire. Where do you think the public stand now in Niger, and is there a voice or has it been silenced? Um, I, I don't think there is the size of middle class that you see in Sudan. And so you wouldn't get something akin to the resistance committees that have been so effective uh, in Sudan. Uh, but as you could see from the pictures yesterday, there were crowds who came out immediately in support of the president who were not keen on seeing their country being dragged down the direction of their neighbors. neighbors. Um, and while there may have been a few Russian flags seen in, in some of the crowds yesterday, um, we're relatively sure that that is opportunistic and doesn't uh, indicate some kind of groundswell. Um, it, it should be said that since February, um, Prigozhin's uh, LAHTA uh, project, mm -hmm. which is a big uh, uh, disinformation on social media project run by uh, Prigozhin's uh, companies, 
Um, that has already been spreading since February, uh, misinformation in, in Niger. Um, so this is something which is absolutely on the radar of, of Moscow. And I'd be very surprised if they weren't going to try and at least take advantage of, uh, of events. Indeed, it's a fast-moving story and one that is still developing even as we speak. I'd like to thank all of my guests uh, for joining me on this edition of Inside Story to Kabir Adamo, Nicholas Norbrook and Alex Vine. This episode was produced by Mohammed El Aishi, Victoria Gatenby, Abla Kla and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Suraj Senka. The programme was edited by George Joseph, Khalid Sultan and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next episode. This week on The Take, police have reignited the investigation on the murder of legendary rap artist Tupac Shakur nearly 30 years after his death. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.